Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Find the right people for your business this year at LinkedIn.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Wednesday, January 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio from MFAM Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Do you know what the word of the day is? I do not. The word of the day is guidance. Yes. <laughs> guidance looms over, well, at least two thirds of what we're going to talk about today. And we'll start with Constellation Brands, which is the business in, well, they're in the business of beverages mostly. They've got a portfolio of brands in beer, wine, spirits, Corona, probably the best known brand. Their third quarter results were fine. But Constellation Brands lowered their guidance for 2019 due to weak sales in the wine portfolio. And also, wait for it, yes, the $4 billion investment in Canopy Growth, the Canadian cannabis company that, um, I don't know, are we surprised that that $4 billion investment they made isn't paying off right now, and in fact, appears to be doing the opposite? Uh, well, it's easy to say at this point, no, we're not surprised, right? Because we haven't, at least I on this uh, podcast, haven't gone out ahead of time and said at the moment of, of purchase, ah, they're probably going to have to write this down by about $164 million in the first quarter. Because if I had done that, you'd be impressed. Today. I would be very impressed. Did you uh, scoff at it uh, if you covered it uh, at the time? So we did cover it at the time on this podcast. And uh, I remember talking. I remember two things. One, thinking, holy cow, that's a lot of money. I can see Constellation Brands making an investment of some size, but the $4 billion was what surprised me. That's Partic- a lot of marijuana. That's <laughs> particularly since it's not like there aren't other opportunities for acquisitions or investments in the beverage industry, which is what they're good at. So the $4 billion surprised me. And I remember talking to David Kretzman. Who had gone to a cannabis conference up in Toronto, and one of the things he talked about was when he was up there, this news got announced. He said, "Boy, you know the Canopy Growth people—they were so excited." And I said, "Yeah, I bet they were. Um, that's <laughs> no, no one's surprised that they're excited. They got a check for four billion dollars. What's uh, what's more interesting is the Constellation brand side of the equation." Yes, so there there were hints at the time uh, that they might be overpaying, and uh, those have been realized by now. And so, not only are they writing down the uh, their stake, uh, and that's a hit to earnings, but they're also revealing what the the cost of the debt, uh, which they took on to fund the acquisition, uh, is going to be, which is going to knock twenty five cents. Uh, per share uh, off the earnings uh, this coming year, which is about three percent of of the total earnings, and altogether they're dropping guidance from a range of nine dollars and sixty to nine dollars and seventy five cents a share. That was the previous range to nine twenty to nine thirty. So, you know, about four percent is the reduction in in their adjusted earnings, and the stock's down a little bit more than that, because on top of the fact that they're going to be earning less money, they're making this write-down. And I think that the growth that somebody would have had penciled in for the company uh, on an ongoing basis has to be tempered. 
at this point. So, even with the drop today, as you indicated, I mean, it's down about 9% right now. And even with the drop from last year, I mean, right now this stock is trading around $155 a share. Go back to late spring of last year, Constellation Brands was around 220. Even with that drop, this stock has still doubled over the the last five years. Like this has been a strong operator, a strong acquirer of other brands, and I think that's again, I think that's part of what was so mystifying about the amount of the investment they made in Canopy Growth. Well, they have fueled a lot of this growth through acquisitions, and I guess it was both playing a little offense. And a little defense, um, and not playing them very well is what <laughs> is what we're looking at today. And you know, in two three years, we may look at it differently and and have to take back some of our snark about uh, overpaying because maybe uh, it'll turn out that there is the market opportunity in marijuana that we're not, you know, uh, that the company itself is is saying is less than they thought it would be six months ago or, or exactly when. They finished paying for it. So um, it's a company that has definitely been a good investment over the last five years, very good investment over the last five years, even better over the last 10. And you got to give them credit for that and not just. You know, dance upon their grave today when they're. I'm not down dancing on their grave. It looked like you were dancing. <laughs> for those that are just listening, I sensed uh, some dance steps. Uh, at any rate, yeah, expect them to grow until you come up with a different theory about uh, you know about the same rate as, as GDP because they're talking about wine and spirits being weak going forward and declining uh, low low single digits. And then they've got the beer. Then they've got the the investment in, in marijuana and all that. Maybe adds up to growth around the same rate as GDP. Possibly, possibly weaker than that, given that the wine and spirits is a, a big part of it and is uh, mildly declining. Let's move on to the housing market, where Lennar wrapped up its fiscal quarter. Lennar, one of, if not, if, I think it might be by some metrics the largest home builder in America. Uh, fourth quarter profits for Lennar came in higher than expected. Overall revenue, little lower than expected. That's not the news. Uh, the guidance for 2019, there is none. I've, I, have you heard of this before? Because I, in to my memory, I haven't heard of a company coming out and saying we're deferring guidance, and this is the quote here, until the markets further define themselves. I have not, off the top of my head. I didn't even know that was an option in the playbook. Like, uh, you know what? I know we've been giving guidance every quarter for. <laughs> All the years we've been a public company, but uh, this time we're just going to skip. We're going to pass. I don't know Lenar's history well enough to say whether they have done it before, but they well might have uh, back in 2008, 2009, uh, or, or years afterwards, because it is a really hard uh, place to guess what your future results are going to be uh, in, in terms of sales. And let me give you a few numbers. This is in billions. This is this is the sequence starting in 2004 uh, of their sales. Top line, 10 billion, then 13 billion, then 15 billion, then 9, then 4, then 2, and then that was 2 billion was in 2009, and they built back up 
hanging around the twos and threes for about five years, and now they're back up to eleven billion. I mean, this is not the kind of business that lends itself to. No, let's let's assume like five percent growth, and then if we make an acquisition, it'll be a little better. Like, no, 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 no. Numbers will vary dramatically based on things that the company has little to no control over, like interest rates. So the stock is up almost five percent today, and I'm surprised by that just because so so much of what drives a given company's stock when they report earnings. Is the guidance. So the fact that Lennar came out and said, We're not giving guidance, I would have thought that would have had some investors headed for the exits. I'd agree with that. And in trying to explain why the absence of guidance might be better than giving any, uh, here are the numbers for the fourth quarter uh, deliveries of homes were up 64% year over year, new orders 49%. The backlog of homes is up. 85%. And you can go down the various numbers, uh, and, and they're all, it was a great realized quarter, which is already in the books and was already in the past. And the company is trading awfully low. It got beaten up last year. It's trading for about six or seven times um, next year's expected earnings. That's the analyst consensus earnings, which may, may be raised or lowered based on. The results today and the absence of guidance. This is a tough thing. This is as tough as it is for Lennar to give any guidance. Uh, imagine how much tougher it is for analysts to try to guess at what their their next quarter is going to be. Uh, but you're right. Guidance is the story of the day, and the the net guidance from these two companies is down. And I think that that is going to be a theme uh, as earnings season rolls along that uh, is repeated again and again, is companies are going to be uh, lower in guidance. We're going to dip into the full mailbag in just a second, but uh, first, quick shout-out to LinkedIn. Making that perfect hire can help set your team up for success in the new year. And where are you going to find that person? Well, that's why when it comes to posting your job, you go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. That's LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours at your business. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every eight seconds using LinkedIn. So find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool and you get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at marketfoolery is our Twitter handle from Daniel Shelton, who writes, You guys haven't talked coffee in a while. What are some good coffee stocks to own other than Starbucks and Dunkin' Brands? Is he right that we haven't talked coffee in a while? Uh, not as it relates to me. Okay. No, it may be maybe in my absence from uh, the show over most of the last month that you haven't been holding up your end. It sounds like it. That's probably, according to your listeners. That's probably the case. Yeah, yeah. If we're looking at a trend chart, that's it's probably down because you you know you've been out with your injury, and so it's also possible that this email is not representative of all listeners feeling <laughs> that you're not talking about coffee enough. <laughs> possible. Yes, the dozens of listeners pounding the table like 
God, when are they going to talk about coffee? We need more of that. Um, but I will say that when I when I first read this from Daniel, uh, when he you know what are some good coffee stocks to own other than Starbucks and Dunkin' Brands? I thought, well, wait, what are good stocks to own? Because if you're you know in the same way that Jason Moser talks about his you know a basket of stocks around like the war on cash or something like that, I thought, are there four coffee stocks that you would put in a basket of coffee stocks? I feel like you'd at least in the United States and and certainly in the case of Starbucks uh, around the world, you're doing pretty well in terms of your coffee exposure if you own those two. But you mentioned... You could get up to four. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, Keurig Dr. Pepper, um, which this morning got an upgrade from Goldman Sachs. And and I know that I, more so than anyone else at this company, uh, am quick to comment on a company rebranding and as often as not, it's a negative comment or some level of snark. I'd like to put a request out to anyone connected to the Keurig Dr. Pepper Corporation. You need a new name. Because, really? Yeah. <laughs> because but we know some of what they do from their name. We do. Unlike uh, some of the rebranding efforts that you've uh, attacked. But in this case, we had Dr. Pepper merging with Snapple. So then they were Dr. Pepper Snapple and then Curry Green Mountain. And now it's Curry Dr. Pepper. And it's just. You want all the words in the headline. Or you know, Curry Green Mountain, Dr Pepper, Snapple. You know what? If if uh, owned by JAB. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or if they wanted to, just Quickster, a JAB Holdings beverage company. Right, and JAB is a privately held uh, German conglomerate. Which, when you're talking about c- coffee, holy cow, do they have a lot of coffee? Right. The reason why there aren't any stocks uh, beyond essentially Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, the small part of um, Craig uh, Dr. Pepper that you can get in on, and Farmer Brothers, which is a small cap uh, brewer or a roaster, I think. Um, JAB has bought up basically all the rest, and they own Pete's and Caribou and Einstein Brothers and Krispy Kreme, Panera, Brugger's, all of them. Uh, and most of Keurig Dr. Pepper, they own 87% of it. So there's, it's a publicly traded uh, stock you can you can invest in. Um, but the owner is JAB for you know almost all of it. I'd never heard of uh, Farmer Brothers before. That's a, and I'm just looking at the chart now. So this is this is about a 400 million dollar company. They're just in the business of beans. Is that it? They have a great ticker, I, Farm. That's a good ticker. Uh, yeah, I, I believe so. I, I raised the name without knowing every single detail about it, which <laughs> is always dangerous and something that you've exposed here. You know what? Long-time listeners know to expect that on this show. Um, What's nice about that is, uh, like, on this show, we, we get to reveal our ignorance constantly. Yes. Which is very different from going on TV, where you have to appear to be an expert on every answer that you give. Well, and as you've mentioned before, when you go on television, you're introduced as an expert because that's the move. Why else are you on television? Right. They are projecting the experience of watching experts, uh, whereas you are not. Right. You are. You are. What are you projecting here? Uh, you know, we're just trying to talk about stocks. We're just trying to, we're just trying to be honest about things we know and things we yeah, don't know. We're, we're just trying to be honest. We don't know if these brothers were farmers, or last name was farmer, or what, or whether they're brothers at all. 
We don't know. But to go back to the stocks again, if you've if you've owned and held Starbucks and Dunkin' Brands for the last few years, you've done well. Yeah, and you did well with the other companies that JAB acquired because they paid up Panera. You'll recall when they they were bought, that was a nice bump for them. Certainly, JAB Holdings has a history of paying a premium, and sometimes it's a very nice premium. But I I I would have to go back and check. But my memory is that when, um, so for example, last week when you were on the show and we talked about Celgene and the the Bristol Myers Squibb acquisition of Celgene, and you made the comment that as a Celgene shareholder you were happy because you were getting a nice premium. But I don't, if I'm remembering correctly, it didn't get you back to even. Um, it was still a, a why you got to bring that up <laughs> because I think in the case of JAB Holdings. Formerly public companies like Caribou Coffee, yeah, there was a buyout at the end with a little bit of a premium. But I think if, in general, if you were a Caribou shareholder, you, it was a Celgene type situation. Caribou was a long time underperformer, yeah. and Celgene was a company that had had, if you would look over the entire history of its public existence, rewarded a lot of people, but certainly not in the last year. It had. Um, run into some difficulties, so uh, the purchase price probably only got you know people who had who had bought in the last few months back to even. Um, I think in terms of Caribou and and maybe Krispy Kreme as well, you're looking at companies that really had not re- not been well enough managed to have rewarded shareholders. Unlike Panera, which was a, a very good long term holding, and and uh, shareholders at the time probably had. The expectation that uh, they would continue to do well by holding it. Do you know why Caribou was an underperformer as a stock? I, I feel like there's a there's a punchline here that I don't know. No, why was it? How bad was it? The coffee wasn't good. Yeah, it was that simple. <laughs> I mean, it's just one man's opinion, but that was that was that was a as someone who is a. Prodigious consumer of coffee. That was one coffee shop, and continues to be a coffee shop that I'm happy to walk right by. I'll, I'll go. I'll go in search of coffee elsewhere. Um, you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. You can go to mfamfunds.com and check out everything from Bill Barker, Brian Hinman, Charlie Travers, Nate Weiser, the entire team at MFAM Funds. They're not writing about nonsensical coffee stuff. They're writing about actual investing. So, check it out. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. 